Verse 16, and without controversy, everyone say controversy, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Amen. Let's read that together again. First Timothy chapter three, verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. We serve a great God here today. Amen. We serve a great God. I want to speak to you for a few moments this morning on the identity and the practice. The identity and the practice. There is something that identifies us. Amen. Praise God. And there is a practice that we put into place for that. Amen. So in the house of God today, we're identified by some things. And we also live that out in practice in our life. You cannot separate those. You cannot separate those two things. Otherwise, it loses its impact and its value. Amen. We become fragmented, separated from what God intends for us. Lord, I thank you and praise you today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your ability, and I pray that you would strengthen us today as we stand before you. Let your word open up to us and strengthen us. Help us to anchor ourselves in it. We give to you thanks. We praise you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Hallelujah. The identity and the practice. The transliteration of the Hebrew imperative that is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 4 is here. And the transliteration of that word is Shema. And so this was something very, very important in the lives of the Hebrews, especially with the establishment of the Old Testament law that God gives to Moses. And this is some of the underpinnings of every, everything that is given there in that law. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 4 begins with the words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. So the Shema is hearing that. And it is a basic statement of the Jewish law. It's the foundation for that. And it became... For the people of God, the Shema became, for the people of God, a confession of faith by which they acknowledged the one true God and his commandment for them. This was something that was uh, foundational for them. It applied an identity to everything that they did. It applied an identity to their life. The Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Not only did it identify them, but it centered all the commandments that God gave to them. And so this is very pronounced and important in the Old Testament. A lot of the prophets, they were uh, covenant enforcement mediators. They would, if, if the people would leave some of their understandings and their identities, it would be the prophets that would pull them back in and say, you've got to get back to what God called you to be because your identity is rooted and grounded and anchored in, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. 
When Jesus, in his ministry, when they asked him about the greatest commandment, and they were trying to catch him or trying to figure out what his understanding was of all things and, and everything that precedes before him, Jesus responded in Mark chapter 12 and verse 29. And he said to the scribes that came and that reasoned together, and he perceived in what they asked, and he said to them, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Before anything else, the first commandment is an understanding of the Shema, understanding Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse number 4 and how that takes a, a prominent place in an individual's life. It is the identity. It was a unique identification of who the people of God were and is. And it was not to be confused with creation, but it correctly recognized that God is the creator and everything flows from him and all of your life flows from him. Everything that you are flows from him. What anchors you and what defines you is a God that has created you. And so everything is centered around that fact. You are marked. You are set apart with a special revelation to the very core of who you are in your spiritual DNA. You are a servant of God, a God who is many things to you, but you have to recognize and understand you serve the one true living God. It's going to mark you. It's going to set you apart. It's going to make you different from the world around you. And so those Hebrews understood that and recognized that, that there is something different about the calling of God on my life. I'm not walking to the same music of the rest of the world. I'm not following the same patterns of the nations and civilizations that are around me, but God has called us out. He has called us out of bondage and he's stamped upon who we are, an identity, and that identity is that we serve the one true living God. Praise God, and we're not confused about that. And we recognize that there's going to be a conflict that arises around who we are and what the rest of the world is. And we understand that and we recognize that. This is what anchored them. God is many things to these individuals that would read this verse and to us as well. Throughout the Old Testament, God revealed himself to individuals and to people in different ways. But this ultimately is the anchor of everything. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The very best verse that you could read in a baby dedication, and there's many verses, but this is one that is really an anchor to everything. Because what it says to a family that brings their child to the Lord is that everything that we do, our focus, our mentality, Everything that we do is aligned to the fact that we are following the one true living God. It's going to seep down into every part of who we are. It's going to identify us. And God may be many things to us, but ultimately God is one. And we're living and basing our lives on that fact. There are many compound names in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 14 God reveals himself to Abraham as Jehovah Jireh. He is the Lord that will provide a sacrifice. He's a God of provisions. 
Exodus chapter 15 and verse 26, he reveals himself as Jehovah Rapha. He is the Lord, our healer. You're thankful for a God that provides. And so he provides for Abraham, but he also becomes the God that heals. Exodus chapter 17 and verse 15, he is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner. He will go before us. Not only does he bring provisions to us, not only does he bring healing to us, but he is a banner that goes before us. And he is a, a Jehovah Nisi. He is in Judges chapter 6 and verse 24, Jehovah Shalom. He is the Lord, our peace. Not only does he bring provisions to us, not only does he heal us, and not only does he go before us, but he brings to us a peace that passes all understanding. I don't know if you recognize how valuable that is, but in our world today, we do not live in a world of peace. We live in a world of confusion. Can't tell you how thankful I was to get up this morning and know that I'm coming to the house of God in the midst of everything else that is transpiring. I know that for a few moments of time in the house of God, when I lift my hands without wrath and doubting, I'm going to feel the peace of God. I'm going to experience that in the house of God. Psalm chapter 23 and verse number 1, he is Jehovah Ra'ah. He is the Lord, our shepherd. If you're looking for direction here today, God is a God that knows how to shepherd us. He leads me beside still waters. He directs me to where I need to go. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse number 6, he is Jehovah Sidkenu. He is the Lord, our righteousness. Today in the house of God, our righteousness is as filthy rags. I'm standing before you, not proud of my own righteousness, but I'm thankful for a righteousness that God brings to me and provides to me. It's his righteousness that makes me whole, that allows me to stand before him. And in Ezekiel chapter 48 and verse number 35, he is Jehovah Shammah. He is the Lord that is present. I feel him in the house of God today. I know that he's present. Amen. I'm glad I'm not walking into some cold cathedral in which there is no feeling. And the only way to impress somebody is to build an edifice that would wow them and make them stand and look at the aesthetics and say, wow, that is something amazing. That's not going to draw you into a relationship with God. That's going to draw you into cold and indifferent tradition. But when you feel the presence of the Lord and the word says the Lord is present, I feel his anointing, I feel his touch, that makes all the difference in the world when God calls us. God reveals himself in all of these ways. And we are a servants to this God. It is an identity. It's a direction. It is the beginnings of everything that we must understand. God is a spirit. And there's an expansiveness of his presence. And so he reveals himself in all of these ways. But it's established on the fact that here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Those Israelites did not have an image before them. They didn't have a, a form of idolatry. They didn't have something that was tangible because God is a spirit. Yahweh was a God that moved and he appeared at various times, but he would have to make himself known. Otherwise, he was a spirit. And so this was different. This was different. It identified them differently than the nations around them. This was also one of the great challenges because the nations around them had their gods. 
And it's fascinating. You can go into museums and you can go into parts of the world and see what some of these gods look like. Baal and Ashtaroth and the goddess Diana and all of that. And how, how a lot of those images reflected fertility and reflected a notion of agriculture and fertile soil. And so they would worship all of these things. They were, they were figurines. They were small. And they, but they were things that you could see and they were things that you could touch and they were tangible. And God calls the children of Israel. He calls them out and he says, I am the I am. I'm not going to be a God that you can, can tangibly touch and feel like a, an idol. But an idol is nothing. I'm going to respond to you. I'm going to lead you. And God is a spirit. And so they had to understand in their mind and their understanding that we're not serving the gods of this world. We're serving the one true living God. And God is a spirit. And we understand that. And there's an expansion of his spirit and his presence and that's what we're going to follow John picks this up in his gospel in chapter 4 and verse 23 when he says the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers that worship the father in spirit and truth for the father seeketh such to worship him God is his spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth we're in the house of God this morning we're here to worship him in spirit and in truth. We want the word of God to strengthen us. We want the anointing of God to elevate us. We want the word of God to seep into our spirit. We want the anointing of God to allow that to take place. It can't just be word with no spirit. There has to be a balance between the anointing of God and the word of God. And when the two work together, we become true worshipers. So God's seeking them to worship him. He is a spirit, and there's an expansiveness of his presence. Acts chapter 7, in Stephen's address to those that had gathered to listen to him, he said in verse 48, Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? There's nothing that can, <laughs> the expansiveness of God is such that you can't you can hold God in a building. And you can't retain God in a building. Solomon built a beautiful edifice, but it, it, there's no way that God just simply dwells in a building and he is housed in a building because there's an expansiveness of who God is. This is the God that is the hero Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. In Acts chapter 17, when Paul was on Mars Hill, he looked at those that were worshiping all kinds of God. In fact, they had their own altar and it had an inscription. It said to the unknown God. Just in case we haven't covered all of the gods, we want to add this one here just to make sure. And Paul said to them, I'm going to declare the unknown God to you. The God that made the world in chapter 17 and verse 24 and all things herein seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. There's an expansiveness to God's ability and his creation that begins with an understanding that this is the one true living God. In 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 27, the scripture reads, Will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold the heaven 
heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less, says Solomon, this house that I have builded. God, I recognize there's an expansion to who you are. You are great, you're awesome, you're sovereign and it all begins with an understanding that you are a spirit and you have created all things and you have provided all things and you've given to us an identity in how to serve you and how to be directed by you. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 23 the prophet said, am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord. Do not I feel heaven and earth, saith the Lord. I'm convinced here in the house of God today that God knows exactly who you are. I'm convinced today that God knows exactly what you're going through. You cannot hide from God because God, there's an expansiveness to who he is. If he's a God that created, certainly he's a God that knows you. And he's a God that knows exactly what you're going through. You're in a good place today to be in the house of God. Because there is a God whose spirit that does not dwell in a building is here in this house. And his anointing reaches for us. I think we need to clap our hands and recognize, hallelujah, God's anointing and his presence and his spirit is reaching for us today. Amen. You cannot escape the inescapable. God is present. One writer says, if I take the wings to the uttermost, you are there. Though I make my bed in hell, you are there. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are there. I, for some reason, I just feel that this morning to just stay right here for a moment and, and say to you, I don't care what you're going through because there are times in which others and your situation and the world around us will try to convince us that God is not there in the midst of what we're going through. I'm here to tell you emphatically, God is in the midst. He is present. He is with you. He walks with you. You may feel like you're all alone, but no, you're not all alone because there is a Jehovah that is able to bring a strength to you. He's walking with you and he's directing you and he's guiding you. You're not by yourself. You're not alone. I think we need to give praise and thank God and let the enemy of our soul know. Hallelujah. I may feel like I'm isolated. I may feel like I'm abandoned, but there is a God that walks with me, that took everything upon himself and he will not forsake me and he will not leave me. Praise God. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Somebody lift up your hands and lift up your voice right now. At this moment, God's a God that is present. God's a shepherd. He's a God that directs us. There's an expansiveness of his ability. No matter what the world says, no matter what the enemy of our soul says, and no matter what anybody else says, God is a God that is with us. We feel him in the presence of God today. And so... The Shema notes that this God who is a spirit and there's an all this is an identity. This is what I'm trying to convince you. When you say, hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. There's an expansiveness to understand, first of all, that his presence and his spirit is in that. And he, he provides all of these things that we have, have read. And regarding this God who is a spirit, he is also one in his identity. Malachi chapter 2 and verse number 10. Have we not all one father? Hath not one God created us? God created us. 
One God created us. The Isaiah, the prophet, in chapter 44 and verse number 6 said, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. And beside me there is no God. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have I not told it thee from that time, and have declared it? You are even my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. This God that is expansive in his spirit, this God that is a creator, this hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, has uttered a statement through the prophet Isaiah to say there's not a God beside me there is no God I know not any Isaiah chapter 45 and verse number 5 I am the Lord and there is none else there is no God beside me I girded thee though thou hast not known me that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me I am the Lord and there is none else this morning in the house of God, we're serving the one true living God. There is none beside him. There is none else. He is God and God alone. And he can respond to your need in the house of God today because of the expansiveness of his nature. He is the creator. But not only is he the creator, he's the redeemer. He can redeem you out of the hand of the enemy. He can pluck you out of miry clay and set your feet on a rock to stay. I'm talking about serving the one true living God. There should be an excitement that takes place when we read these scriptures because it identifies who we are. Praise God, it identifies who we are. Isaiah continued to write in 45 and verse number 21. Listen to these words. Tell you and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord, and there is no God else beside me? A just Savior and a what? A just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself. The word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. Swear what? That God is one. There's an expansiveness of his ability and his nature and he has come to save. There's a God that's big enough to save you. You say you don't understand the situation. There's a God that's big enough to save you. There's a God that's big enough whose arm is not short that it cannot reach it, but it can reach it and it can save. He's a savior, Isaiah said. God is the one that there is none beside him and there is none else. He is a savior. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 5. Paul said, but though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us, is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him and one Lord Jesus Christ by whom are all things, and we 
by him. There's a lot of gods in the world. There's a lot of idols. In the Old Testament, they followed after these figurines and idols. In the New Testament, they were following after a lot of idolatry. In the present day today, there's a lot of people following a lot of different things. But you know what I'm following? I'm following the one true living God. I recognize that there's many gods and there's lords many. But unto me, there is one God. There is one Savior. There is one direction that I'm following. There is one pattern that I'm seeking after. And it is here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. It's an identity. It is an identity. This is not just something that is in theory. It's not just something that is out there. It is something that you apply to your life. Hallelujah. It's something that anchors who you are. It gives you the ability to say, I know I live in a mixed up world. I know I live in a crazy world, but I am following and I'm underneath the pattern and the authority of the one true living God. And that makes me different. That makes me set apart. That marks me. And so no matter what may come my way, I'm going to stand. And having done all to stand, stand therefore wherewith God has given the power and the ability. It's the same attitude that takes place in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they're in Babylon bondage and everybody else is bowing. There is something that takes place in these Hebrew children that says no matter how many bow, we are not bowing. No matter how loud the music it goes we are not succumbing we are not acquiescing anybody hearing what I'm saying today this has to be anchored upon your soul it has to be anchored in your mind I am called I'm called of God and that makes me different and that's okay because I'm called of God and that's what matters it doesn't matter what anybody else it doesn't matter the peer pressure that may come my way. It doesn't matter the, the forming of the world to form me into something that I'm not. I'm not following the dictates of the world. I'm following the one true living God. This is the, this is the foundation of what the Shema is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. You know why those boys could stand there? Because they understood this. We are called out. We are different. We are not changing, even if it means a burning, fiery furnace. Daniel said, I'll go into the lion's den, but I'm still praying to the one true living God. I'm off from somewhere that's not even my own country and my own land, and I'm in captivity. But I'm still going to pray daily because I recognize my identity is wrapped up in the one true living God. It makes me who I am, not everything else and not everybody else. And not the confluence and, and, and congregation of what the world is and what the world says. I'm following after God. This is why it is so powerful that Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 4 and verse number 5. And he says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. There is so much that is packed in that one passage of Scripture. The expansion of 
what we've already talked about. God's creation and his ability not be able to confine him in a building. He's above all things. But he didn't just stop there. He said he's through all things. And he didn't just stop there. He said, and he is in you all. This one true living God doesn't want to dwell in a building. He wants to dwell in a heart and in a life. This is why there's an importance of the baptism of the Holy Ghost because it's a recognition of God coming in and residing in you and in me. Oh, what great treasure. The word said that treasure is contained in this earthen vessel. We should be very, very thankful today. We may not be by world standards rich and wealthy, but if you've got the Holy Ghost, you've got the greatest treasure that the world has ever, ever known. Hallelujah. Let's thank the Lord together for his presence and his spirit. I thank you, Jesus, for your anointing and your touch. Praise God. I'm not getting my identity from the rest of the world. Hello. I'm not getting my identity from what the world is doing. I feel the struggle and I feel the pressure, but that's not what identifies me. The fashion world does not identify me. The political world does not identify me. The athletic world does not identify me. Hollywood does not identify me. What identifies me is the one true living God that becomes a part of who I am. And it's this God that I'm serving. Praise God. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 said there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Talking about how great God is. James chapter 2 and verse number 9. As thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 2, John, when he was writing... And the spirit said immediately, I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. Not only is God as a spirit and not only is there but one God, but God becomes in the full revelation of who he is, the man Christ Jesus. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Then he says in verse number 14, and the word became flesh. This God that in the Old Testament is so expansive in his nature and in his presence and his spirit and reveals himself as Jehovah Jireh, reveals himself as Jehovah Sidkenu, reveals himself as Jehovah Shammah, becomes what cannot be seen now becomes something that can be seen in Christ Jesus yet simultaneously retaining his role as the eternal spirit and the father in creation, the Yahweh of old. But now he has become in the sonship, the man Christ Jesus, who, as it has already been mentioned this morning, was in all points tempted like as we are. You understand and recognize that God that didn't need that decided to come into a body so that he could understand the human condition to make redemption a real reality. 
He was in all points tempted like as we are. You say, well, our time is different than his time. No, the scripture said he was in all points tempted like as we are. You can take the very strongest temptation that is taking place in the world today. Jesus would have felt it. Otherwise, it doesn't make his redemption uh, complete in everything because no matter what the world goes through and humanity goes through, God understands and recognizes that where we are and who we are, we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet he knew no sin. He walked down every road of temptation. He felt every every struggle. He felt every battle. He, he walked through every mile that we go through. We serve a great living God. Hallelujah. And that great God became flesh. And this is why Isaiah in chapter 7 and verse 14 said, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which in the Old Testament in Matthew, it's Emmanuel, God with us. Praise God. I want you to know this morning that God's with you. Hallelujah. This is why Isaiah said in chapter 9 and verse number 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Jesus is every single one of those things, and he still reigns in that same power. In that same ability, Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been of old from what? From everlasting, everlasting, everlasting. Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse number 24, I said, therefore, unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. After studying much of the gospel of John, I love the fact that he is italicized in verse number 25. The translators are trying to provide clarity. But if you look at that in the original language, it is simply Jesus saying, if you don't believe that I am. I'm the same I am that spoke from a burning bush to Moses. I am. In John chapter 8 and verse number 57, then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet 50 years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus saith unto them, Verily, verily. That is a, that is a word of authority. That's just not coming from a common plane. It's amen, amen. Verily, verily. Before, uh, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. John in chapter 14 and verse number 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father. This God that is expansive in his ability and his spirit has become flesh and dwelt among humanity. And great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. This is an identity 
Praise God. This is an identity. Paul said to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ. This is an identity. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. There's an identity that is connected to who you are, and that identity is an understanding of the Shema, and that God has become flesh, and it becomes part of your nature. This is one of the reasons why baptism is so very, very important. Everybody hearing what I'm saying here? this morning. I'm trying to convince us that we have to be engraved upon our heart. This is why baptism is not a tradition. It is not just something that we do. It's not just a joining of a believers and a church body. There is something greater that takes place there. That hero Israel, that identity that identified the Hebrews. When you go down in a watery grave, there is a name that is applied to your life. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That name is attached to the hero Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. There's something greater going on in that baptismal tank. When you come up, you don't just come up the same person, but there's an identity attached to who you are. And it's a name that's above every name that is connected to who you are. You may have your family and you may have your genealogy and you've got all of that, but when you're baptized into his name, you are baptized into the very creator that has breathed life into you. It identifies you. It's an identity that stands in the face of severe opposition. It's the Hebrew children. It's Daniel. It's Joseph before the law was even given. Joseph had a relationship and understanding that my life is different because of God's influence. Moses, before the law was even given, the I am speaks to him out of a burning bush and identifies him to the place of him being able to go and stand in front of Pharaoh and one of the greatest civilizations in the known world and saying, God hath called me to lead my people out of Egypt. was an identity. Praise God. That's an identity that cannot just be scrubbed away easily. But I want to caution us this morning as I bring this lesson to the main point, the second main point. <clears throat> is the identity is not just something that we know that's in our minds. It's also an identity that has a practice that's connected to it. <laughs> I hope you're listening to me this morning. I want you to listen to me this morning. I, I feel like in a world that we live in with so much struggles, battles, conflicts around what makes you, 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 and your identity and all that goes with all of that. 
there is such an influence upon not only us, but on our youth and upon our children, a vying for. What makes us who we are, the divine image that is placed upon our life and who we are, is not just something that we can read in scripture and say, well, we know that and that makes us excited. But it also has to be something that is applied to our life in practice. Because when you read that, and I'll read it here in a minute, it wasn't just, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart's home. But there was, a, there was a following of that, of not only the identity of understanding that God is calling me out, but he is also asking me to put into practice a lifestyle that is connected to that identity. And you cannot sever that. Every detail of life conduct of the saints, it becomes the practice of living for God. Don't sever the identity from the practice. It informs us, it informs us, but we are not simply to believe it. We are to put it into action. It's not supposed to be just in our mind. It's also to be in our heart. It's supposed to be the way that we walk and the way that we live. It's supposed to cover every aspect of our life. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying here this morning? This is one of the great, great struggles in Christianity today, and I'm saying Christianity as a whole, because what's happened is they say something with their mouth, but they don't attach any practice or lifestyle to go with it. And therefore, this is why. This is why churches are drying up, because people are looking around and saying, why should I follow something or involve myself in something in which the bar has been lowered so much that if I just say it with my mouth but I don't live it in my life, this doesn't make any sense and there's a conflict, and so people leave. The identity of who we are has to be joined together with the practice of what we do. If we've ever lived in a world in which we need to recognize and understand we are identified by his ability and by who he is, there's also a time we need to recognize and understand we need to put everything that God has placed in our life into practice. It's the identity and it's the practice. It's very, very clear that all of us must worship all of him. All of us. All of us must worship all of him. For in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he goes on to say, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart. Everyone say all your heart. All your soul. All your might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And listen. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Shall talk of them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. That's the totality of all that I am, worshiping all of who God is. There's no better example of the instruction that was given to Moses. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's command. They were not afraid of the pressures of the world around them because Moses' mama knew 
We're different. We're called out. We're not following the dictates of the world. We're following the one true living God. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin for the season, esteeming the approach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses didn't have the ability. In chapter number 11, you get to the end and you recognize that Moses didn't have the ability to know that the unseen God became a seen God in Christ Jesus like we have. But there, there was still something that identified him. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea when the Egyptians are saying to do so were drowned. Moses in his life not only was identified by a God that called him from a burning bush, but he took upon himself the risk of putting that identity into practice. Mind, body, and spirit, my intellect should be following the identity and practice of who God is. My physical body, the morality of what I do with my body and my life is directly connected to the identity of the calling of God in my life. My spirit, my might, my strength, my ability in every area of life. You cannot leave the Shema at the church door. Praise God. You can't leave the identity of who God is at the church door and live a practice in a life that's not pleasing to the God that called you. The two have to be fused together. It has to go in practice. Teach them, teach them, teach them when you walk by the way. Teach them when you're in the house. Every area of life, whether you're sitting down, whether you're walking, whether you're lying down, then you're either going to be lying down walking or sitting the totality of your life everything that you are put it in practice our occupation our occupation is one way of the Shema you can't leave it at the church door teaching intelligent and thoughtful reading and studying engaging the word studying to show myself approved teach them to your children the theology of the home it's not something that pastors just saying. It's a theology of the home. A, a church is only going to be as strong as the, the, the theology that's in the home. It's not going to be very strong if it's just a pastor that's preaching it. What's going to make it strong is the theology in the home that says, wait a minute, that's not just what pastors are saying. This is what we put into practice and what we believe. I feel like that in our age, we live in today, we need a revival of the hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And because of that, this is what we do. It should be the universal standard. It's the identity, identity of my life and it's the practice of my life. That's the universal standard. He's Lord over 
everything. Don't exempt yourself, mom. Don't exempt yourself, dad, and say, this is the identity and this is a practice, but I'm exempted from that. You do that, you're gonna cause great confusion in the theology of the home and in the theology of the way that your children are raised and born. Because they'll see discrepancy in that and it'll cause confusion. Man, our world needs a revival of the one true living God and the practice of living for that one true living God. I'm going to walk by the way and it's going to be private, but it's also going to be public. Praise God. Bind them for a sign as we stand together in the house of God. This was to be so ingrained in the Hebrews bind them for a sign upon your hand they shall be as frontlets between your eyes you shall write them upon the posts of your house and upon the gates and it shall be when the Lord thy God hath brought you into the land which he sware unto your fathers to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob he's going to provide all these things for you Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shall swear by his name. You shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. Everything that you are in practice, let it be directed by an understanding of who God is. Don't get distracted by the world and the gods of the people around you, but focus on him. Praise God. It's what you know informing what you do. It's what you know informing what you do. There's no greater unrest that will be in your personal life than when you separate what you know from what you should be doing. You'll be a restless individual. But if you bring those two things together, God's going to bless. In the case of the Hebrews, he said, I'm going to bring you in a land. I'm going to give you that which you have not dug, fill that which you have not filled, vineyards and olive trees going to provide all those things in our day today when we take who we are and we apply it to what we do God brings great great blessing to us the identity and the practice let's live let's live it before God Lord I give you my heart I give you my soul 